Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Thanks for joining me. As always, really appreciate it. This week, I'm interviewing Lynn Eichenbaum. Now, she's done a lot of really, really cool things. Three things that I think we probably would have uh, would have booked her to, to talk about, and she's done, you know, all three of them. So it's just a, a really interesting conversation where starts out her being behind the scenes on some some really interesting um, TV shows. I, I know I said interesting a lot. I feel like I always do, but definitely some interesting TV shows, some that are still on now. But the behind the scenes is quite a few different things in that TV world. The one we're going to cover quite a bit just because it's it's kind of an institution in in uh, daytime uh, talk shows is The View. She joined that uh, that production team at the very beginning, right as it was it was being formed the the show. So we're going to talk about you know the just creating The View. Um, what uh, what it was like, kind of being at that that forefront and working with all of those uh, you know those legendary legendary ladies that uh, started the show, and there's it's still a show that's going 20 plus years later. So we're going to talk a lot about that, just the behind the scenes of uh, TV and daytime talk as a whole, um, her transition from there to to other shows. Uh, we're going to actually talk in that next that next phase, that next cool thing is she's an author. She's written 10 children's books, um, kind of these adventure children's books. Uh, she actually wrote them, wrote them, wrote them <laughs> for, uh, for her son, um, and uh, it, that was a really cool thing. But uh, what she's doing now is she is an inventor, and she invented these, these gardening gloves that... Uh, I guess they go up above the uh, their elbow so you don't get poison ivy, those type of things. No one wants poison ivy, so glad these uh, exist. We're going to talk about, you know, the inventor spirit and how she decided to, to create these. We're going to talk about how she got them out on the market, all that kind of stuff. So even if you're not interested in gardening gloves, you can't keep, you know, a plastic plant alive. I think you'll still enjoy um, you know, her talking about writing, her talking about the view, and then her talking about just being an inventor and the inventor spirit. So, thank you. Going to enjoy this one. Here is my interview with Lynn Eichenbaum. I am here today with Lynn Eichenbaum. Lynn, how are you? Hi, Jackson. Great. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah. Now, I, I this is not the type of show that I just try to be like super awesome about everything it's super formal did i say your name correctly because i know i we practiced like seconds beforehand but i don't know whether i i did it i already feel like i might have messed it up but no you did great it's i can bound like i can bound so i can bound there you go awesome yeah well <laughs> before we kind of start on you know the, the questions that i have just kind of briefly introduce yourself that's easier for some than others um but just tell us a little bit about lynn all right, great. Well, again, thanks so much for having me on. Uh, Lynn Eichenbaum started off her illustrious career uh, in women's daytime television. I worked on numerous shows, including The View, which was great. I was um, sort of behind the scenes as a stage manager, associate director type. I moved on to become a stay-at-home mom. 
author of a children's chapter book series called Remote Controlled Adventures because I'm very type A and I was looking for something to do while I was staying at home with my kids. So great book series. You can find it on Amazon. It's awesome. Uh, And I am an avid gardener. And the reason actually we're talking today is because I invented sort of accidentally this amazing line of sleeved gardening gloves called Garden Sleeves. Uh, I patented them and, you know, they're doing great. I sell hundreds at garden uh, flower and garden shows up and down the East Coast. And I can't wait to tell you about them. It's it's just been such a great journey for me. You, you've definitely had a, a, a diverse background and I want to kind of touch on each each point there. Um, you mentioned that you you were behind the scenes with with the view. How did you get into, I guess, that, uh, you know, that TV work to, to begin with? Definitely. Well, I always loved TV, uh, where my sister would sit and read constantly until four o'clock in the morning. I was just one of those kids in the 70s who just really liked, you know, coming home after school, plopping down with a bowl of cereal and just watching TV, Saturday morning cartoons, you know, because no one had cable. And I loved TV. And, um, you know, after college, I went to business school and I got a job working in the human resources department of Viacom Entertainment. And, you know, it was a good job, but uh, human resources is not my thing. Mm. So uh, I soon learned that I was in the job for about eight months. And the neat thing was my boss being in charge of HR also saw all job listings that came through and Lifetime Television had just been acquired by Viacom. And this new show called Handmade by Design and this other show called Main Ingredient were just starting on Lifetime Television. And, you know, they asked me if, you know, they knew I was unhappy being behind a desk in HR. And they asked me if, you know, they wanted to send my resume over to the shows. And I interviewed and suddenly it was as if I found my people. It was great. I was immediately, you know, I felt like the entertainment people and TV people were just in my blood. And I went from Handmade by Design and Main Ingredient to meeting an amazing director named Mark Gentile. And uh, when he was brought over to start this brand new women's daytime television show roundtable with Barbara Walters called The View, he asked me to come with him. So we you know, pretty much were the first production crew on that show back in uh, 1997. And it was incredible, Jackson. It was just like, it was, it was a dream come true. Yeah. I can only imagine. I feel like the, the view is kind of, there's so many shows now that's just trying to, to imitate it. And I mean, obviously that, that means that it was a successful format and I don't know for sure, but I feel like, you know, when that show first, first, came out that it first launched that people were not exactly sure whether that type of thing would work. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I think what was neat about that show, it's become much more politically charged these Mm -hmm. days because the landscape, I think, in the country and in the world is so much more politically charged. But back then, it was just five women discussing hot topics and not necessarily news. I mean, it was entertainment. It was uh, fashion shows. Uh, you know, the the initial people on the show, uh, Meredith Vieira and Star Jones and Joy Behar, who's still on it, um, Debbie Matinopoulos, uh, eventually Lisa Ling, just they were just really neat, incredible women with such a great uh, gel, just from totally different backgrounds. And that was the whole concept of The View, to have 
a woman from a different decade. So they wanted a woman in her 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s to, um, you know, bring a totally different viewpoint. And the whole, it's funny because, you know, I was on the production end. So when, you know, Meredith would sit there because she was sort of the MC of the show and the monitor would be over her, uh, I believe it was over her left shoulder. Like you said, so many shows emulated that, the chat, the talk, uh, the chew, you know, they all just kind of took that format and ran with it. And it's pretty amazing that that show has been on, you know, 20 plus years. So I know you were there right in the very beginning when it first uh, started. How long were you there? Because obviously um, you know, there's been some times in, in view history. I feel like it's almost the uh, almost like the calling card of it now that there's been some tumultuous times. I don't know uh, exactly when you, you left. Yeah, well, I left uh, after about four years mm. with any career. Uh, with any job, if there isn't upward mobility, you just kind of get stuck and like a mouse on a wheel. And it was such a great show to work on that the full-time associate directors and full-time stage managers were not looking to leave. And I was the production assistant because I was in my 20s, uh, backup stage manager and backup associate director. So there was really nowhere for me to go. Mm. So it was a difficult decision, really, really hard. But I wound up leaving that show and I joined another director uh, named Andy Barsh, who was also brilliant, really, really great guy. He had worked on The View. He was one of the first associate directors to work under Mark Gentile. And Andy brought me over to Soap Center and I worked on, or rather SoapNet, and I worked on Soap Center and a couple other shows with him as an associate director. And then I made a crazy decision to uh, fall in love and get married. And <laughs> I left the whole New York scene behind, uh, moved out to North Carolina, down to North Carolina, and then out to California with my husband to sort of follow his pharmaceutical career. I gotcha. Dang that, that fall in love thing. It just changes things, doesn't it? It does. And it was really, I have to say, it was really hard for me because I, you know, I was so immersed in the television culture that watching TV was actually almost painful. It just, I had such, mm. such pangs of, um, of need and wanting to go back to it. For starters, I mean, I loved, I had, you know, did the whole kid thing and, you know, we had two kids out in California before we moved back East to have our third. Um, but, you know, the whole time I was out there, like I would watch TV and I would see a Chiron or, a, you know, a name go up incorrectly or at an incorrect time. And I would, you know, I would joke and kind of talk to no one and say, oh, that person's losing their job or, oh, that person messed up. Um, so, you know, it was, it was definitely an adjustment to become a stay-at-home mom after that. But eventually just, I got so busy with the kids that, um, you know, that particular part of my life, I was able to shut the door. And I'm friends with so many of the original crew still on Facebook. And, you know, we talk from time to time, but uh, it was, yeah, it was hard to leave. Yeah, I can, I can only imagine. Well, I say you don't ever have to completely shut the door. Who knows what the future holds? I'm sure we're going to talk later about, you know, your, your gloves. I'm sure that's not something you ever thought would happen. So never, you never, never you never know. But <laughs> before we kind of move on from this one last question, I always like to definitely with people that are, are behind the scenes or even in front of the camera that mm -hmm. what's something about the show. Let's say there's somebody that's been watching it since 1997. They're the, the biggest view fan ever. I don't know what they call their fans, but 
the biggest view fan ever. What's something that might surprise people about, you know, how the show operates, the production, anything like that? Any of the surprising details? Let me think. Well, the, you know, the neat thing is before the show starts, well, they, they always have an audience um, warm up person who um, comes and warms up the audience so that they're really enthusiastic about the show. Mm. So uh, there was a woman named Angela who actually worked there and she was the audience warm up and she was funny. She was fun. She was terrific. Um, I would have to say probably working with Barbara Walters mm. for a second. Um, she's an icon. And she was actually much smaller and more frail than you would have thought that she was because she's so much so larger than life. But she's really a very petite little woman. Um, she's just brilliant and incredible and radiates energy and intelligence. But um, I was surprised that she was so cute and so small. <laughs> Yeah, I, I hear that. I hear that definitely with people on TV. And th there's just there's just a, a power behind people that just kind of transcends their their size. So I think that's, Absolutely. that's interesting. Let's talk about uh, that book series. Okay, so, you know, I became a stay at home mom after working on The View. And uh, I'm very type A. So I'm always looking for something to do beyond just sort of the norm. And my son, my firstborn was an avid reader, but he was very, you know, he would shy away from the magic tree houses and the Hardy boys and all of them because there was a significant amount of conflict and suspense. Um, he did okay with suspense, but with danger and with, um, I guess when, when people were going to do something and get into trouble, he would kind of, uh, I don't know, he just wasn't really into that and the Harry Potters and all of that. So he was, so we were struggling to find a book series for him. So I said, what the heck? You know, this light bulb went off over my head. And I said, I think I'm going to write a book series about sort of drawing from my experience in television and in scripts. Uh, so I'm going to write a book series about two kids named Zach and Lana, who are actually my kids. Mm -hmm. And let's say that they're fighting over a remote control in their family room. And all of a sudden, the remote starts glowing. The person on the TV starts talking and beckoning them in and, and pleading that they come into TV because an evil television producer has stolen show scripts, infiltrated TV land, and he's using magic to change the ending of shows. So Zach and Lana have to zoom into the TV. They have to go on a quest to find the script with the TV characters, with the characters of the shows. And once they find the script, they have to creatively rewrite the ending, setting things back the way it's supposed to be. This was just kind of a brainchild that I had one day when my kids were actually fighting over remote control in the family room. And uh, the book series morphed into what I call remote control adventures. And I wrote 10 in the series because, you know, I like to set goals. I think it's important that you set goals for yourself in life. So I wanted to write 10 books. So over the course of about uh, six or seven years, I did actually accomplish that. And I wrote 10 books in the series. They're still out on Amazon. I was doing author visits to elementary schools up and down the East Coast, which was so much fun. It was great. I did that, you know, while my kids were sort of getting a little bit, you know, older when they were like fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh grade. And uh, it was it was a lot of fun. And then there was sort of, you know, I had hit that 10 bookmark and I was debating whether or not I was going to move on to book 11. And then I got Poison Ivy 
and the whole glove thing just <laughs> morphed from there. There you go. Yeah. So let's just to ask a few questions about the books. You said sure. that you know your your son maybe didn't like the suspense nature of, of Magic Treehouse. Um, right. So there, there's not much suspense to, to these because I feel like I I could see suspense of trying to get these taken care of. I don't know if there's a time frame, but I see a suspense possibility there. Yeah, no, mine is full of suspense, full of action, and it's fun, but there isn't, it's not scary. And I think that's what I kind of meant. Like he didn't like the scary aspect of the books. Mine are more campy and fun and adventurous and interesting, Hmm. but they're not scary. I gotcha. And so what is the age group that is is good for these books? Not to say anyone can't read it. (laughs) Yeah, no, no. Depending on the reading level, it's first to fourth grade with the sweet spot being second and third. Urge people to check those out. Definitely a, a different take on on those type of, uh, you know, that suspense, suspense, but not scary genre. I think that's kind of that's really cool. I like the I like the the premise. I I when I'm trying to, like, learn about different history things. So, you know, whether it's the Civil War or the Holocaust, all these type of things. I always say the best book, even as an adult to read, is read a kid's book. Maybe for the you know, a sixth grader, the the skill that it takes to be able to write a book, you know, at that level and pack all that information in it is amazing. You get so much out of that book. Obviously, go and then find more details later yeah, on. Je- but I think Jackson, it's awesome. Can I tell you the Who Was book series? I don't know if you've heard of it, but um, Who Was Andrew Jackson? Who Was mm-hmm. Ben Franklin? Who? I mean, that book series is fantastic. Totally. And I have to say, you know, who were the Tuskegee Airmen? Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's it's just a fabulous series. And I read a ton of those books with my kids also growing up. They loved them. They ate them up. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I've, I've still I've still read some some kids books just to kind of learn about different topics. So I like that for sure. So you've mentioned the poison ivy. You mentioned these gloves. Let's uh, talk a little bit more about that, uh, that initial story. I want to talk about the actual product, but I want to kind of get behind uh, you know, the, the mind of, of an inventor and, uh, and, and see exactly how this, uh, this process started. Definitely. So it's actually a really fun story. So um, I have very sensitive skin and I'm an avid gardener and everybody knows, especially in New Jersey, where it's, you know, it's hot in the summer. It's hot everywhere in the summer. We all wear sleeveless or short sleeves. And it was just par for the course. I would go out, I'd pick my tomatoes, I'd do weeding, I'd come in, my arms would be blotchy red, and I would just go to the sink and have to scrub them with dish soap to get off whatever allergen I had brushed up against. And that was just kind of par for the course. I just did that. Um, I have about nine raised garden beds in my backyard where I grow tomatoes, zucchini, squash, pretty much everything. I mean, I I live in New Jersey. It's the garden state for a reason. So uh, one day I was getting out of my car and I saw three sprigs of something in my rock bed. So I put on my little short gloves, you know, that ended at the wrist and I went and I picked those three sprigs. And then 24 hours later, I had poison ivy up and down my right arm. And I said, and it didn't even look like poison ivy. So I said, this is ridiculous. Um, I just need, I, I need a glove with a sleeve attached so that I don't have to change into a long sleeve shirt. I just want the glove, the sleeve to just go over my bicep and sort of secure with an elastic band. Someone clearly must have made these, right? 
So I went on Amazon, I went on these garden sites, I went on, you know, women's work, I went on every website I could think of, to look for just a pretty, lightweight, breathable glove with a blue sun, 100% cotton sleeve that I could just slip on when I was gardening, I could take it off and throw it in the wash. Shockingly, nobody made it. So um, I'm also a seamstress by just by necessity. Uh, I taught myself how to sew a few years ago when my kids were doing competitive Irish dancing and they needed a seamstress. And I said, okay, you know, type A, I can do this. So, um, you know, I knew how to sew. So I made myself a prototype and that was a plus because I didn't have to go to an outside company to make a prototype for me. I just made one myself. And I love them. I thought they were great. They protected my arms. I would immediately come in, drop them in the laundry. They'd come out of the wash, um, you know, clean and allergen free, poison ivy free, everything. And I love them. So I made a few pairs and I was sitting at the hairdresser one day and I was just mentioning it to my hairdresser because she and I are both big gardeners. And a woman was sitting sort of next to me in the chair, also getting her hair done. And she said, excuse me, I don't mean to uh, eavesdrop, but it's a fabulous idea. You need to patent it and I'll be your first customer. And she raised her arm and she had poison ivy up and down her arm. Mm. So um, I said, you know, maybe I have something here. So I hired a trademark attorney and I trademarked the name No B for my company, which is an acronym for no more, the No More Poison Ivy Glove Company. And I called my product garden sleeves because that's what they are. And I just, you know, started sewing them here. I've sewn thousands myself. I have uh, five sewing machines that I keep threaded at all times in the basement. Uh, I started bringing them. I initially took them to small little craft shows around my neighborhood and around New Jersey. And gardeners were just loving them. And, uh, you know, people were loving them so much, I decided to invest in the larger flower and garden shows. And I brought them for the first time two years ago to the Philadelphia Flower and Garden Show. I sold 750 pairs myself in nine days. And, you know, that was sort of the affirmation for me that this product really had legs and could go someplace. So more recently this year, I said 2022 is going to be my year. I hired a publicist and I've been getting more wholesale market share. And it's really just been an incredible, incredible journey, Jackson. It's been very cool. Yeah, no, it sounds awesome. I, I always like because I've, I've had a few different inventors on in the past. And I feel like the, you know, the, the key in, in a successful invention is exactly what you mentioned. And that's really kind of finding a need that you have and then realizing, and I'm sure there's a lot of other people that have that need too. I feel like sometimes inventing is not always thinking about what an actual need is. I mean, if you're not fulfilling a need, then you're not going to really sell much. So I, I, this is obviously a, a huge need for, for gardeners. So I think that's really cool. About the actual glove was going was gonna to be my next question. When I was looking at them, I can't really see for sure, but I know like my own gardening glove, which by the way, I have a like a specific pullover jacket that I put on just so I can cover my arms. So, <laughs> yep, yep. so that, yeah, I mean, I, I have that, that same issue, but a material on the back and then a, like a, a plastic on the front, exactly like that, but exactly. it doesn't wash well. I ruined the, the plastic part when I wash it. So I, I guess I don't know whether it's just a bad glove or you've just 
obviously you can wash yours. So. Yeah, it could be a little bit of both. Um, you know, these are fully machine washable and nitrile gloves should be, as long as they're of good quality, they should be fully machine washable. You just cannot put them in the dryer. They have, they have to line dry. But that's my problem. I have everything, yeah, there you go. Everything, everything goes in the dryer. I'm not one of those people. I'm not going to split up my clothes. You, you, you deal with it or you get thrown in the garbage. Because the fingers are going to stick together. That's what happens. You to, You're, exactly. exactly. No, you have to line dry them. Have to, have to. There you go. Well, hey, that was an easy fix for sure. There you but, go. But yeah, so I guess, do you still have that, you know, that fire for, for invention or was this truly you trying to fulfill a, a need that you have in your own life and you're just going hard on these gloves or are you looking at inventing more products? Because a lot of times if, you know, the inventor spirit doesn't necessarily always die. Right. Yeah, no, not at all. Um, I actually have another idea that I actually had before. I never thought of myself as an inventor. I always thought I was always a good employee. I never really envisioned myself as the employer or the creative mind behind it. And, and it was really a wonderful, um, I guess, uh, um, you know, discovery in myself and my own being that I had the ability to create something that people would use and would love. And I do have another idea. I don't um, don't want to share it right now because oh, yeah, it's a, no. I think it's a really good idea. But, you know, that's sort of simmering in the back of my mind. But I really want to see where these gloves will go because I am, you know, I just landed actually a, uh, a wholesale, a really nice wholesale order with a catalog company for, you know, older women to make their lives easier. So, that was so exciting. I just got mm. the PO through today, which was wonderful. And I'm waiting on another, possibly another really big company that might be interested in the gloves. So I really, you know, kind of for the next couple of years, want to see where this is going to go. Mm. Um, ideally, gosh, I would love if someone would license the patent for me, because how cool would that be? Then they could take it just, I see these gloves because they're so handy and so wonderful and so colorful. I see them in every Lowe's, every Home Depot, every Ace Hardware, um, you know, I just see them there. And it just takes the right people and the right networking and the right exposure. And they're going to take off. I know they are. Next thing I want to ask about, I guess, is your, your family and all this. Obviously, you gave up a lot when it came to, you know, getting married. And, you, and then you, you know, you fulfilled a need for, for one of your kids and literally wrote the books that he read. So you've done a ton for your family and supporting them. So where are they at? in uh, I guess their support of this endeavor for you. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a, that's a, a hard transition to make when you have young kids. I mean, my son is in college now. So um, my oldest, I have three, my oldest is in college. It's all good. Um, my high schooler is uh, my daughter, Lana. She's pretty much pretty self-sufficient, but for my little guy who's 12, it was a big transition uh, because, you know, I was always present and always there. And now, you know, especially during COVID when I switched to mask making and I was, uh, you know, making masks for Montefiore Hospital and, you know, a ton of different um, uh, hospitals and medical centers in New Jersey and New York, um, I just was not available. I was downstairs in the basement sewing for 10, 11, 12 hours a day. Mm -hmm. And my husband too. I mean, it's a big adjustment. And, you know, the stay at home mom and cook, 
kind of became, all right, here's the telephone and, you know, call DoorDash or, <laughs> or, you know, what are you guys going to pick up tonight? Or I would go to, you know, Wegmans or ShopRite and pick up pre-made meals because, um, you know, something's got to give. You can't, you know, as a mom entrepreneur, I'll call myself a mom entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, it, it is a tough transition and you have to have that family support around you in order to be able to succeed and not have resentment. And what I did actually, when I was gone for the 10 days, because the Philly show is a big show and I'm, I'm about an hour 20 from Philly. So uh, I was driving back and forth, but I was gone. And, you know, from six o'clock in the morning until 10 or 11 o'clock at night, I actually brought my 12 year old with me the last day because I wanted him to see that this wasn't a bad. He was actually 10 at the time. I wanted him to see that this wasn't like a mean thing that took mom away. Mm. I wanted him to sort of be in, you know, involved with it. And he was bored silly, but he was there with me for the 10 hours. And it was, it was good for him because he was able to understand and to see what I did and to see that it was important to me. Well, I hope, I hope that they're, they're proud of of all that you've you've done because it's a, a cool thing for sure. Thank you. They are. They are definitely. I mean, they they think it's kind of funny because uh, I've done so many different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, when I started this, my my naysayer daughter was like, oh, they're so silly. and No one will ever use them. And, you know, you look ridiculous. And then I started taking them the shows and they're like, you know, how much did you make, mom? 20 bucks. And I'm like, you know, maybe 700. They're like, whoa, <laughs> really? <laughs> so they're like wow it's not just a silly idea that mom had it's actually you know it's a viable business it's cool yeah, yeah. now if she's she's wanting you to to buy her something be like nah this is glove money this is silly money you can't do it sorry exactly <laughs> go get a job girl <laughs> that's that's funny well eventually maybe it'll be the ultimate thing and and uh you'll have a, a position open for for her Gosh, I wish so. I'm telling you, it's it's hard to get your own kids to intern for your company. Yeah. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> you know, it's easier to get your friends to work for you than it is to get your own kids to intern or even to get your part-time job. Oh, yeah. I feel like if you can, definitely your kids, if you can uh, win them over, then you, you know you have a, a solid product at that point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So tell us, you know, as, a, as an inventor, you say you didn't never really thought of yourself that way, but that's definitely what you are. So as yep. an, as an inventor, what advice do you have for, for someone else who's thinking, Hey, I, there's a need that I know I can fill and I'm thinking I'm tinkering on how to do it rather than other than, you know, go on that, uh, that other ABC property shark tank, what other things can they <laughs> do to, uh, to be successful and, and start a, a product? Well, I would have to say networking is key. I mean, you have to surround yourself with people who can help you achieve your goal. And it's been such a learning experience for me because you as a new or I or whatever, you you as a new inventor don't have all the answers. And there are so many people out there who have done it before. Uh, What I did when I first started this company was join a national organization called the National Association of Women Business Owners, NAVO is the acronym. And I got hooked up with six amazing women in completely different industries. And we are on a Zoom mastermind once a month. And we just, you know, toss ideas off each other and, you know, ask 
tough questions and we make suggestions and we talk about our respective industries. And through that, I was able to find my publicist. One of the women uh, suggested, she said, hey, you know, Lynn, you, you seem like you're at the point where, you know, you need more national exposure. I have a really great woman that I'd love to introduce you to. So she introduced me to Andrea Pass, who's my publicist right now. And um, she's been phenomenal. Through Andrea, I got a slot on at the uh, National Hardware Show in the National Inventors Association Showcase. So I went there this past October and it was amazing. I'd never been to a hardware show before because my product is really lawn and garden, but hardware, hardware stores carry gloves. And I met just amazing people there. I was able to present as if I was going on Shark Tank, I was able to present my product with a pitch. And I met this amazing man named Harry Smith, who owns Smith Hardware down in Eunice, Louisiana. And he is carrying my gloves now. So, you know, shout out to Harry. He's awesome. And I met this great guy also uh, from Sprinkler World, this guy, Dick. And uh, he emailed me after the show and said, hey, Lynn, I have a lot of female gardeners. I want to, you know, I want to carry your gloves too. So it's been amazing. Really is so important. Uh, for your listeners to understand, if you have an idea, um, I would say join focus groups, join networking groups and, you know, ask questions and get a good support network going on because it's, it's really is crucial. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm networking is huge in, in everything. So yeah. it's good, good to see that it's, it's there as well. But I think it's kind of in the same vein, probably networking and distribution and maybe not trying to outgrowing yourself too, too quickly. I'm, I'm kind of answering my own question, but what, uh, what do you think are some of the, the biggest struggles in, in, in getting something from literally from your hands onto the hands of, of someone else? Right. It's uh, really just like you said, it's distribution and it's national exposure because it's easy to take your product to little craft shows and to, you know, get everybody in your town interested in it. But it's much harder when you're competing with, um, you know, other inventors that want to get their products into, say, Lowe's or Home Depot. There are only there's only so much shelf space and there's only so um, many people that they want to meet with to uh, to see your product. So you really need to network and don't grow too fast is another, um, you know, other advice I would give. Make sure you take baby steps. There are a lot of times when people will say, oh, just go for it, go for it. But, you know, I was substitute teaching at my son's school while I was sewing and taking these things to craft shows. I needed an income stream coming in so that I could afford my gloves and my material. So, um, you know, you do what you need to do and don't grow too quickly uh, because you may, you know, it, it just you may outgrow your ability to either meet demand and that would kill you or, um, you know, you may have too much in inventory and realize that you just don't have the market for it. So just take baby steps and there really isn't a tremendous rush. Let's just put it that way. If you have a patent, uh, you know, you're protected to a certain extent and you can take your time to really roll it out properly. Yeah. And I think that's something that always just is, interesting to people and, and people maybe counterintuitive to what some people would think, but just the, the not growing too fast part when it, when it comes to those things, because, you know, it, everyone thinks, Oh yeah, orders, orders, orders. I need to, 
get everything I can, you know, get fed while, while, uh, you know, while the, the getting's good, but right. you, you only have one shot with some of these people. If you can't fill the order, I'm, I'm sure you're not going to, uh, to get the business again. So it's almost better to be like, give me some time. Then we'll talk. Tell us yeah. again, how we can find these gloves and then also your, your books. And I also like to just kind of so many different podcasts. I hear people are, you know, talking about products and their books, but I almost feel like it's people don't talk about what's the cost of the product. Cause I feel like a lot of people just don't want to necessarily talk about that, but I think it stops you from looking it up. So what, tell us, tell us the cost and where we're going to find it. Yeah. I like to keep my gloves uh, reasonably priced. So I sell them for 22. So they're 21.95 online on my site. Um, my website is mygardensleeves.com. It's really easy to remember. Uh, you can find them. Um, you know, most of the patterns and styles that I have are on my website. And like I said, you know, I like to keep them reasonably priced. So uh, because I want everybody to be able to afford them and to be able to enjoy them. And, you know, so that's, uh, that's kind of it. So mygardensleeves.com. Mygardensleeves.com. And you, you also mentioned the books. Um, so that's Remote Control Adventures, and they are on Amazon. So you can just look up Remote Control Adventures by Lynn Silber, S-I-L-B-E-R. That's actually my maiden name. Mm. And, um, you know, the books are on there. But my sweet spot right now is the gloves. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Well, the most important question to wrap it up with these gloves is, since you started making this, have you gotten poison ivy on your arms? I have to. I have not. There you go. In two, honestly, in two and a half years, I have not gotten poison ivy on my arms. I am so careful to, as soon as I come inside, I take the gloves off and I use a rag. So I don't even touch the glove okay. when I take them off. And I put all three pieces right in the wash, the left, the right, and the rag. Dump them all in the wash. And I have been, honestly, poison ivy free, itch free everything, you know, spider bite free for like two and a half years. So it's been awesome. So the next product is not like a different kind of leg warmer because now the poison ivy has moved to your legs. Okay. That is so funny that you should say that because I do have people come up to me and say, I need, I need garden sleeves on my legs. Yeah. And I'm like the, the garden sleeve leg warmer, it'll go on the leg sleeve. That's next. I'm sure. Can you imagine like my ladybug pattern? You've got it up to your, your um, bicep and then you've got it up to over your knees. Oh my gosh. That would be uh, definitely a sight. Yeah. And then people need to, hurry up and run to the, the greenhouse and keep it all on. And people are going to be thinking, Woo. All right. <laughs> Nancy came crazy, today. <laughs> crazy people in Lynn's neighborhood. That's for sure. <laughs> there you go. What's well, been a pleasure speaking with you. We've, we've found, uh, you know, the, the ways to, to find the product on your website, uh, mm -hmm. the books, um, on, on Amazon. Um, uh, but no, it's, it's, it's been awesome. I, I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you, Jackson, so much for having me on. And, uh, you know, I love to share my story and hopefully inspire your uh, your listeners. So thanks again. Absolutely. So that was Lynn Eichenbaum. What a cool person. Really, really think that, you know, these gloves are going places for no other reason than she's just an awesome person. And I, I do think it's a really cool idea. Hope you enjoyed listening to just a little bit about how you take a, a product whether it's gardening gloves or anything else out to market and, and having to really have that true passion for what you're doing to be able to survive because so many inventions 
never make it anywhere just because it does take a lot, a lot as an inventor to, to get it out uh, on the market. Hope you enjoyed uh, hearing about her journey with that. Hope you enjoyed hearing about the view and just the behind the scenes there, about her writing. She's done so much. Just a really awesome person. So thankful to, to speak with her. Go check out those gloves. The um, website will be in the show notes. Go check her out. Of course, always check us out if you haven't. If you're not already following us on Instagram, go do that. Do it right now. Not in the Huff podcast on Instagram. Uh, Facebook page, Not in the Huff with Jackson Huff, jacksonhuff.com. We're everywhere. Always in, uh, enjoy you kind of engaging there. Definitely leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast. If you want to be extra cool, write a review too, not just uh, you know, not just the five stars. If you listen on Spotify, hey, you now can leave uh, five uh, five stars there too. So appreciate that. If uh, if you'll take those extra 10, 20 seconds to to get that done, always always appreciate it. But uh, thanks for being here. I thank Lynn for being here. And uh, we'll see you next week. Take it away, Chris. This has been Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think, or hey, maybe even both. But until then, keep being awesome.